Welcome to the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ explained, confirmed, and vindicated by Dr. John Owen. We will be continuing to read from page 113 for this reading. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourselves to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now, to SWRB's reading of the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated, which we hope you will find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come unto the Father but by Him. John 14, verse 6. Number 2. But there seems to be more of reality and difficulty in what is pleaded concerning the continuation of our justification. For those that are freely justified are continued in that state until they are glorified. By justification, they are really changed into a new spiritual state and condition and have a new relation given them unto God in Christ, unto the law and the gospel. And it is inquired what it is whereon their continuation in this state does on their part depend, or what is required of them that they may be justified unto the end. And this, as some say, is not faith alone, but also the works of sincere obedience, and none can deny but that they are required of all them that are justified, whilst they continue in a state of justification on this side of glory, which next and immediately ensues thereunto. But whether upon our justification, at first before God, faith be immediately dismissed from its place and office, and its work be given over unto works, so as that the continuation of our justification should depend on our own personal obedience, and not on the renewed application of faith unto Christ and His righteousness, is worth our inquiry. Only I desire the reader to observe that whereas the necessity of our owning a personal obedience in justified persons is on all hands absolutely agreed, the seeming difference that is herein concerns not the substance of the doctrine of justification, but the manner of expressing our conceptions concerning the order of the disposition of God's grace and our own duty unto edification, wherein I shall use my own liberty as it is meet others should do theirs. And I shall offer my thoughts hereunto in the ensuing observations. Parentheses number one. Justification is such a work 
as is at once completed in all the cases and the whole effect of it, though not as unto the full possession of all that it gives right and title unto. For, brackets number one, all our sins, past, present, and to come, were at once imputed unto and laid upon Jesus Christ. In what sense we shall afterwards inquire. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has made to meet on him the iniquities of us all. Isaiah 53 verses 5 and 6 who his own self bare our sins in his body on the tree. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. The assertions being indefinite, without exception or limitations, are equivalent unto universals. All our sins were on him. He bare them all at once, and therefore once died for all. Brackets number 2. He did, therefore, at once finish transgression, make an end of sin, make reconciliation for iniquity, and bring in everlasting righteousness. Daniel chapter 9 verse 24. At once he expiated all our sins, for by himself he purged our sins, and then sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. And we are sanctified or dedicated unto God, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. For by one offering he hath perfected, consummated, completed, as unto their spiritual state, them that are sanctified. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 and 14. He will never do more than he has actually done already. For the expiation of all our sins from first to last, for there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. I do not say that hereupon our justification is complete, but only that the meritorious procuring cause of it was at once completed, and is never to be renewed or repeated any more. All the inquiry is concerning the renewed application of it unto our souls and consciences, whether that be by faith alone or by the works of righteousness which we do. Brackets number three. By our actual believing with justifying faith, believing on Christ or his name, we do receive him, and thereby, on our first justification, become the sons of God. John chapter 1 verse 12. That is, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 17. Hereby, we have a right unto and an interest in all the benefits of his mediation which is to be at once completely justified. For in him we are complete. Colossians chapter 2 verse 10. For by the faith that is in him, we do receive the forgiveness of sins and a lot or inheritance among all them that are sanctified. Acts chapter 26 verse 18. Being immediately justified from all things from which we could not be justified by the law. Acts chapter 13, verse 39. Yea, God thereon blesseth us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly things in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. 
All these things are absolutely inseparable from our first believing in Him, and therefore our justification is at once complete. In particular, brackets number four, our believing all our sins are forgiven. He hath quickened you together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. For in Him we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins according unto the riches of His grace. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, which one place obviates all the petulant exceptions of some against the consistency of the free grace of God and the pardon of sins and the satisfaction of Christ in the procurement thereof. Brackets number 5. There is hereon nothing to be laid unto the charge of them that are so justified. For he that believeth has everlasting life, and shall not come unto condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. John chapter 5 verse 24. And who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. It is Christ that died. Romans chapter 8, verse 33 and 34. And there is no condemnation unto them that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 1. For being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Chapter 5, verse 1. And, brackets number 6, we have the blessedness hereon, whereof in this life we are capable. Chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 from all which it appears that our justification is at once complete. And, brackets number seven, it must be so, or no man can be justified in this world. For no time can be assigned, nor measure of obedience be limited, whereon it may be supposed that any one comes to be justified before God who is not so on his first believing. For the scripture does nowhere assign any such time or measure. And to say that no man is completely justified in the sight of God in this life is at once to overthrow all that is taught in the scriptures concerning justification and wherewithal all peace with God and comfort of believers. But a man acquitted upon his legal trial is at once discharged of all that the law has against him. Parentheses number two. Upon this complete justification, believers are obliged unto universal obedience unto God. The law is not abolished, but established by faith. It is neither abrogated nor dispensed with all by such an interpretation as should take off its obligation in anything that it requires, nor as to the degree and manner wherein it requires it. Nor is it possible it should be so, for it is nothing but the rule of that obedience which the nature of God and man makes necessary from the one to the other. And that is an antinomianism of the worst sort and most derogatory unto the law of God, which affirms it to be divested of its power to oblige unto perfect obedience. So as that what is not, so shall, as it were, in despite of the law, be accepted as it were so, unto the end for which the law requires it. There is no medium, but that either the law is utterly abolished, and so there is no sin, for where there is no law, there is no transgression, or it must be allowed to require the same obedience that it did at its first institution and unto the same degree. Neither is it in the power of any man living 
to keep his conscience from judging and condemning that, whatever it be, wherein he is convinced that he comes short of the perfection of the law. Wherefore, parentheses number three, the commanding power of the law in positive precepts and prohibitions, which justified persons are subject unto, does make and constitute all their unconformities unto it to be no less truly and properly sins in their own nature than they would be if their persons were obnoxious unto the curse of it. This they are not, nor can be. For to be obnoxious unto the curse of the law and to be justified are contradictory. But to be subject to the commands of the law and to be justified are not so. But it is a subjection unto the commanding power of the law, and not an obnoxiousness unto the curse of the law, that constitutes the nature of sin in its transgression. Wherefore, that complete justification, which is at once, though it dissolve the obligation on the sinner, unto punishment by the curse of the law. Yet does it not annihilate the commanding authority of the law unto them that are justified, that what is sin in others should not be so in them. See Romans chapter 8, verse 1, 33 and 34. Hence, in the first justification of believing sinners, all future sins are remitted as unto any actual obligation unto the curse of the law, unless they should fall into such sins as should, ipso facto, forfeit their justified estate and transfer them from the covenant of grace into the covenant of works, which we believe that God in his faithfulness will preserve them from. And although sin cannot be actually pardoned before it be actually committed, yet may the obligation unto the curse of the law be virtually taken away from such sins in justified persons as are consistent with a justified estate, or the terms of the covenant of grace, antecedently unto their actual commission. God at once, in this sense, forgiveth all their iniquities, and healeth all their diseases, redeemeth their life from destruction, and crowneth them with loving kindness and tender mercies. Psalms 103, verse 3 and 4. Future sins are not so pardoned as that when they are committed, they should be no sins, which cannot be unless the commanding power of the law be abrogated. But their respect unto the curse of the law, or their power to oblige the justified person thereunto, is taken away. Still, there abides the true nature of sin in every unconformity unto the transgression of the law in justified persons, which stands in need of daily actual pardon. For there is no man that liveth and sinneth not. And if we say that we have no sin, we do but deceive ourselves. None are more sensible of the guilt of sin. None are more troubled for it. None are more earnest in supplications for the pardon of it than justified persons. For this is the effect of the sacrifice of Christ applied unto the souls of believers, as the Apostle declares, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, verse 10 and 14, that it does take away conscience condemning the sinner for sin with respect unto the curse of the law, but it does not take away the conscience condemning sin in the sinner, which on all considerations of God and themselves, of the law and the gospel, requires repentance on the part of the sinner, 
and actual pardon on the part of God. Whereas, therefore, one essential part of justification consists in the pardon of our sins, and sins cannot be actually pardoned before they are actually committed. Our present inquiry is, whereon, the continuation of our justification does depend, notwithstanding the interveniency of sin after we are justified, whereby such sins are actually pardoned, and our persons are continued in a state of acceptation with God, and have their right unto life and glory uninterrupted? Justification is at once complete in the imputation of a perfect righteousness, the grant of a right and title unto heavenly inheritance, the actual pardon of all past sins, and the virtual pardon of future sin. But how, or by what means, on what terms and conditions, this state is continued unto those who are once justified, whereby their righteousness is everlasting, their title to life and glory indefeasible, and all their sins are actually pardoned, is to be inquired. For answer unto this inquiry, I say, parenthesis number one, it is God that justifieth, and therefore the continuation of our justification is His act also. And this, on His part, depends on the immutability of his counsel, the unchangeableness of the everlasting covenant, which is ordered in all things and sure, the faithfulness of his promises, the efficacy of his grace, his complacency in the propitiation of Christ, and the power of his intercession, and the irrevocable grant of the Holy Ghost unto them that do believe, which things are not of our present inquiry. Parentheses number two, some say that, on our part, the continuation of this state of our justification depends on the condition of good works, that is, that they are of the same consideration and use with faith itself therein. In our justification itself there is, they will grant, somewhat peculiar unto faith, but as unto the continuation of our justification, faith and works have the same influence into it, yea, some seem to ascribe it distinctly unto the works in an especial manner, with this only provisio, that they be done in faith. For my part, I cannot understand that the continuation of our justification has any other dependencies than as our justification itself. As faith alone is required unto the one, so faith alone is required unto the other although its operations and effects in the discharge of its duty and office in justification and the continuation of it are diverse. Nor can it otherwise be. To clear this assertion, two things are to be observed. Brackets number one. That the continuation of our justification is the continuation of the imputation of righteousness and the pardon of sins. I do still suppose the imputation of righteousness to concur unto our justification, although we have not yet examined what righteousness it is that is imputed. But that God in our justification imputes righteousness unto us is so expressly affirmed by the apostles that it must not be called into question. Now the first act of God and the imputation of righteousness cannot be repeated. And the actual pardon for sin after Justification is an effect and consequent of that imputation of righteousness. If any man sin, 
There is a propitiation. Deliver him. I have found a ransom. Wherefore, unto this actual pardon, there is nothing required but the application of that righteousness which is the cause of it. And this is done by faith only. Brackets number two. The continuation of our justification is before God or in the sight of God, no less than our absolute justification is. We speak not of the sense and evidence of it unto our own souls, unto peace with God, nor of the evidencing of manifestation of it unto others by its effects, but of the continuation in the sight of God. Whatever, therefore, is the means, condition, or cause hereof is pleadable before God and ought to be pleaded unto that purpose. So then, the inquiry is, what it is that, when a justified person is guilty of sin, as guilty he is more or less every day, and his conscience is pressed with a sense thereof, as that only thing which can endanger or intercept his justified estate, his favor with God, entitled unto glory, he betakes himself unto, or ought so to do, for the continuation of his state and pardon of his sins, what he pleads unto that purpose, and what is available thereunto. That this is not his own obedience, his personal righteousness, or fulfilling of the condition of the new covenant, is evident. From, first, the experience of believers themselves, Secondly, the testimony of Scripture. Thirdly, the example of whose cases are recorded therein. First, let the experience of them that do believe be inquired into, for their consciences are continually exercised therein. What is it that they betake themselves into? What is it that they plead with God for the continuance of the pardon of their sins and the acceptance of their persons before Him? Is it anything but sovereign grace and mercy through the blood of Christ? Are not all the arguments which they plead unto this end taken from the topics of the name of God, His mercy, grace, faithfulness, tender compassion, covenant, and promises, all manifested and exercised in and through the Lord Christ and His mediation alone? Do they not herein place their only trust and confidence for this end, that their sins may be pardoned, and their persons, though every way unworthy in themselves, be accepted with God? Does any other thought enter into their hearts? Do they plead their own righteousness, obedience, and duties to this purpose? Do they leave the prayer of the publican, and betake themselves unto that of the Pharisee? And is it not of faith alone, which is that grace whereby they apply themselves unto the mercy or grace of God through the mediation of Christ? It is true that faith herein works and acts itself in and by godly sorrow, repentance, humiliation, self-judging and abhorrence, fervency in prayer and supplications, with a humble waiting for an answer of peace from God, with engagement unto renewed obedience. But it is faith alone that makes applications unto grace in the blood of Christ for the continuation of our justified estate, expressing itself in those other ways and effects mentioned. 
from none of which a believing soul does expect the mercy aimed at. Secondly, the Scripture expressly does declare this to be the only way of the continuation of our justification. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 These things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. It is required of those that are justified that they sin not. It is their duty not to sin. But yet, it is not so required of them as that if in anything they fail of their duty, they should immediately lose the privilege of their justification. Wherefore, on a supposition of sin, if any man sin, as there is no man that lives and sins not, what way is prescribed for such persons to take? What are they to apply themselves unto that their sin may be pardoned? and their acceptance with God continued, that is, for the continuation of their justification. The course in this case directed unto by the Apostle is none other but the application of our souls by faith unto the Lord Christ as our advocate with the Father on the account of the propitiation that He has made for our sins. Under the consideration of this double act of sacerdotal office, his oblation and intercession, he is the object of our faith in our absolute justification, and so as unto the continuation of it. So our whole progress in our justified estate, in all the degrees of it, is ascribed unto faith alone. It is no part of our inquiry what God requires of them that are justified. There is no grace, no duty, for the substance of them, nor for the manner of their performance that are required, either by the law or the gospel, but they are obliged unto them. Where they are omitted, we acknowledge that the guilt of sin is contracted, and that attended with such aggravations as some will not own or allow to be confessed unto God himself. Hence, in particular, the faith and grace of believers who do constantly and deeply exercise themselves in godly sorrow, repentance, humiliation for sin and confession of it before God upon their apprehensions of its guilt. And these duties are so far necessary unto the continuation at our justification as that a justified estate cannot consist with the sins and vices that are opposite unto them. So the apostle affirms that if we live after the flesh, we shall die. Romans chapter 8 verse 13. He that does not carefully avoid falling into the fire or water or other things immediately destructive of life natural cannot live. But these are not the things whereon life does depend, nor have the best of our duties any other respect unto the continuation of our justification, but only as in them we are preserved from those things which are contrary unto it and destructive of it. But the sole question is, upon what the continuation of our justification does depend, not concerning what duties are required of us in the way of our obedience. If this be that which is intended in this position, that the continuation of our justification depends on our own obedience and good works, or that our own obedience and good works are the condition of the continuation of our justification, namely, that God does indispensably require good works, 
and obedience in all that are justified, so that a justified estate is inconsistent with the neglect of them. It is readily granted, and I shall never contend with any about the way whereby we choose to express the conceptions of our minds. But, if it be inquired what it is thereby, we immediately concur in a way of duty unto the continuation of our justified estate, that is, the pardon of our sins and acceptance with God, we say it is faith alone. For the just shall live by faith. Romans chapter 1 verse 17. And as the apostle applies this divine testimony to prove our first or absolute justification to be by faith alone, so does he apply it unto the continuation of our justification as that which is by the same means only. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38 and 39. Now the just shall live by faith but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. The drawing back to perdition includes the loss of a justified estate, really, so, or in profession. In opposition whereunto the apostle places, believing unto the saving of the soul, that is, unto the continuation of justification unto the end. And herein, it is that the just shall live by faith. And the loss of this life can only be by unbelief. So, the life which we now live in the flesh, we live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The life which we now lead in the flesh is the continuation of our justification, a life of righteousness and acceptance with God in opposition unto a life by the works of the law, as the next words declare in verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then is Christ dead in vain. And this life is by faith in Christ, as he loved us and gave himself for us, that is, as he was a propitiation for our sins. This, then, is the only way, means, and cause on our part of the preservation of this life, of the continuation of our justification. And herein are we kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Again, if the continuation of our justification depends on our own works of obedience, then is the righteousness of Christ imputed unto us only with respect unto our justification at first, or our first justification, as some speak. And this indeed is the doctrine of the Roman school. They teach that the righteousness of Christ is so far imputed unto us that on the account thereof God gives unto us justifying grace and thereby the remission of sin in their sense whence they allow it to be the meritorious cause of our justification. But on a supposition thereof or the reception of that grace we are continued to be justified before God by the works we perform by virtue of that grace received. And though some of them rise so high as to affirm that this grace and the works of it need no farther respect unto the righteousness of Christ to deserve our second justification in life eternal, as does Vasquez express, yet many of them affirm that it is still from the consideration of the merit of Christ that they are so meritorious. 
And the same, for the substance of it, is the judgment of some of them who affirm the continuation of our justification to depend on our own works, setting aside that ambiguous term of merit. For it is on the account of the righteousness of Christ, they say, that our own works, or imperfect obedience, is so accepted with God, that the continuation of our justification depends thereon. But the Apostle gives us another account hereof, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. For he distinguishes three things. Number one, our access into the grace of God. Number two, our standing in that grace. Number three, our glorying in that station against all opposition. By the first, he expresses our absolute justification. By the second, our continuation in the state whereunto we are admitted thereby. And by the third, the assurance of that continuation, notwithstanding all the oppositions we meet with all. And all these he ascribes equally unto faith, without the intermixture of any other cause or condition. And other places express to the same purpose might be pleaded. Thirdly, the examples of them that did believe and were justified, which are recorded in the scripture, do all bear witness unto the same truth. The continuation of the justification of Abraham before God is declared to have been by faith only. Romans chapter 4 verse 3. For the instance of his justification given by the apostle from Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 was long after he was justified absolutely. And if our first justification and the continuation of it did not depend absolutely on the same cause the instance of the one could not be produced for a proof of the way and means of the other, as they are here. And David, when a justified believer, not only places the blessedness of man in the free remission of sins, in opposition unto his own works in general, Romans chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, but in his own particular case, ascribes the continuation of his justification and acceptance before God unto grace, mercy, and forgiveness alone, which are no otherwise received but by faith. Psalms 130, verses 3 and 5. Psalms 143, verse 2. All other works and duties of obedience do accompany faith in the continuation of our justified estate as necessary effects and fruits of it, but not as causes, means, or conditions, whereon that effect is suspended. It is patient waiting by faith that brings in the full accomplishment of the promises. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12 and 15. Wherefore, there is but one justification, and that of one kind only, wherein we are concerned in this disputation. The scripture makes mention of no more, and that is the justification of an ungodly person by faith. Nor shall we admit of the consideration of any other. For, if there be a second justification, it must be of the same kind with the first, or of another. If it be of the same kind, then the same person is often justified with the same kind of justification, or at least more than once, and so on just reason, ought to be often baptized. If it be not of the same kind, 
And the same person is justified before God with two sorts of justification, of both which the scripture is utterly silent. And so the continuation of our justification depends solely on the same causes with our justification itself. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more, at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue Edmonton AB Canada T6L 3T5 If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list. So once you've sent us your email address, you'll be asked by email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. Your email information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and texts, etc., that SWRB makes available on the web, as well as, at times, to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends. But we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message including the header and trailer, is not altered in any way, and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading. And remember that Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 states, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 11 concludes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you.